0: Here are your hosts, Chase Parham. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCrady. I deserve to be on TV.
1: Welcome to this edition of Hand Raised Guys, a little different edition of Hand Raised Guys. If you're watching on the YouTube stream, if you're listening in your podcast feed, it'll sound like it normally does. Tonight on Hand Raised Guys, or Friday as you hear this on uh, the Oxford Exxon podcast, Chase Parham will sit down with Ole Miss Baseball coach Carl Lafferty. They'll get you ready for the season opener and more. Ole Miss opens its baseball season, of course, Friday afternoon, 4 o'clock against Charleston Southern. We'll have coverage of that at rebelgrove.com. And then uh, after that, I will sit down with Chris Lee of southeastern14.com. We'll do a deep dive into the rest of the SEC. We talk a lot about Ole Miss as well. And then we talk uh, SEC basketball. bunch of teams fighting for tournament bids. Other teams, Ole Miss included, Uh, getting near the end of a disappointing season, facing uh, program decisions about where they go moving forward. So we'll get to all of that and more uh, here on the show. It's one that is brought to you by Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. If you live in the Oxford, Tupelo area, uh, you know what's coming. The the cold weather will go away. The warm weather will be on its way. You want to make sure that cooling system is ready to go in tip-top shape. If you live in Oxford, Tupelo, and the surrounding area, call the people at Comer, 662-801-1777. If you live in Hernando, uh, DeSoto County, Memphis, that area, get in touch with the people at Southern Air Conditioning and Heating. It's the same great products, the same great services, same people, just different names. 662-429-4429. I'm coming to you from the uh, Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Is that number? Call it, ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for, and he'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. There's no hassle. There's no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around, or you can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do, and that's hop into a Clark Ford today. Again, 662-257-1900 is that number. Um, Guest. Chris Lee, Carl Lafferty, they join us on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Rafters Music and Food uh, on the Square in Oxford be a great place to grab a burger, a po' boy, uh, great appetizers, full beer selection, uh, great bar, and more. They're at Rafters Music and Food on the Square in Oxford and Rafters in New Albany. And uh, while we're talking about Ole Miss baseball here in a minute, don't forget to check out the inaugural edition of the Peyton Chatenay Show, brought to you by The Rogue. It's up on YouTube. It's also on podcast channels. Ole Miss second baseman Peyton Chatenay sat down with me. We'll visit every week on the Peyton Chatenay Show. We talked about superstitions, about opening day, about expectations, about playing in the cold, and a lot more. It was a really fun visit uh, it's up on YouTube. It's brought to you by The Rogue, The Rogue, 4450 I-55 North in Jackson, or the therogue.com, great place to uh, get the latest in uh, fine menswear and more. There at The Rogue, 4450 I-55 North in Jackson. So um, we'll get right to it. Chase Parham and Carl Lafferty uh, talked on Thursday morning. So uh, here's their conversation.
2: Carl Lafferty now joining us day before the uh, the season Ole Miss and Charleston Southern four o'clock tomorrow from Swayze Field to to, to kick it off. And Carl, you know, you kind of never stop. You've got recruiting, especially once this thing got back going when all the pandemic stuff got listed and y'all can do normal, normal visits and whatever that period looks like. But when the season is building up the last couple of weeks before, are you? Are you trying to knock out more honeydews around the house? You need to give Lauren and the kids a little more time. Like, what is sort of that first two or three weeks? Because, I mean, y'all been doing this for a long time. Everybody knows what this looks like. What's, what's sort of the month before? Is there a way to kind of recharge at all, or when is that?
3: Uh, you know, the, the recharge is usually to the holidays uh, mm-hmm. because it's probably the period of time when we can't have recruits on campus or we, we don't have recruits on campus necessarily, and our guys are gone. Uh, and so, and it's a two week period that, you know, I really can't come into the office, even though I do. Um, and it just kind of gets you, you know, gets you fired up. And I, and I always tell people when they ask about my job, uh, friends that, you know, are in medical sales or different things that the kids give you energy, you know, um, the amazing thing is, uh, you know, I keep getting older, but they, they stay the same age, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's 18 to 22 year olds. And they, they always have a, you know, a life about them. And so when they show back up in early January and you're, you're around them, things, you know, things get exciting. Things get going, I think, uh, for everybody. It's the beginning of a new year, beginning of a new season. Uh, but the couple of weeks leading up, um, a little bit of stuff around the house maybe. Uh, I really disappear when March 1 hits. I think people don't understand, okay. don't understand that. Uh, but from the beginning of November till March 1, uh, I'm not on the road recruiting. That's a, a quiet or dead period for us uh so i'm getting ready to to be a ghost um which i i think my wife may be ready for
2: yeah she probably for a little while like i said she knows what she signed up for at this point i mean i think i think mike pointed it out you've been with the program since it's some capacity since what 06
3: is that right yeah uh fall of, september of 05 yeah. oh so
2: 5 okay yeah i guess for the 06 season that would that would be right as you yeah. as you came into it when you did that i mean the hope was obviously to get into coaching but what what was your thought 16 years ago, whenever that was.
3: Uh, it was kind of crazy. Uh, People always ask me what I was doing. I was actually working for Philip Morris, Mm -hmm. uh, which if you connect the dots, that's cigarettes, (laughs) tobacco. Um, But I remember I was sitting in Abner's eating lunch one day and uh, I looked up and this was the old Abner's before it was changed. And there was a picture of Chad Sturbins and he was jumping out of the dugout with his hands like over his head. In the air, and it was a, I think a walk-off homer that was hit against Vandy, and I just remember thinking, uh, "There's nothing I'm doing right now that makes me feel like that." Uh, so, when the opportunity came to you know get back into baseball, I, I just did it. I jumped at it. Um, my parents thought I was a little bit nuts, and I didn't really know. I didn't have a, you know, Clem and I talk about this. It's not like a, I have a career path or career thought. Uh, it's just trying to do my job as well as I can every single day and then, you know, take it in or take it as it comes because uh, it's, it's, it's like our game. Our game is a random game. Yeah. There's, there's rules, there's parameters, there's nine innings, but the, there's an infinite number of possibilities that can come out of each play. And I think that's coaching, you know, to a T like I do what I do because I genuinely enjoyed spending time with these guys. Like that's a the thing I you know if I had to tell any of our fans something I think unique about this team, um, good, bad, or indifferent. There's there's different personalities of different teams. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of years, uh, this group while it's been talented, uh, there's not a lot of maintenance with them. Uh, they love to show up to the field. They love to play. They are so much fun to be around. I mean, fun to be around at a pregame meal fun to be around at practice, not just game day. So um, that's kind of what keeps me going and why I do it.
2: bit of a leap of faith at first because not like directors of ops or anything or getting rich, you know, you're trying to move up, trying to do some, some different stuff at that point. And $17,000, Chase, $17,000, okay. $17,
3: that's what Fair I was All uh, right, good my enough. Parents, my parents go, wait, you, you just – you're the first college graduate in our family. Uh, you just got a job that has a good salary, a uh-huh. free car, all these great benefits. And you're going to take a job for 17 grand. Uh, I said, yeah, here,
2: here uh, I am. Yeah. What And you? I mean, not, not, this is not about you. We're going to talk about the team in a second, but I'm just fascinated here uh, as much as you and I talk. I don't know. We've been been on the stunt. You've had other opportunities. You could have done a lot of things. A lot of coaches have gotten into scouting or different things. What's, What's sort of been the big constant to, to keeping you there to, 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 I think at this point you might be the longest tenured assistant in the league. What's, what's been
3: the kind of the key. i like you? Clement. He's, I'm
2: just saying, okay. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, yeah.
3: It's a nice way of saying I'm old. Uh, well, Mike walked up to me a couple of weeks ago when we were at media day and he
2: goes, how long have you been doing this? And I know, I know Parrish is going. <laughs> I'm the old guy now, Mike. It is what yeah, it is. you're 17. That's what it is. You're, Mike.
3: you're a survivor. Yeah. Um, no, uh the 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 coaching world is different. Like it's not uh usually the the knocks on the door are more, you know, private or kind of mm-hmm. uh I don't say back alley communication, but the 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 short answer and the reason I've been here is uh one, it's my alma mater. Um that means a lot to me. It's always been personal. Uh and I work I work with and for a great dude. Um, uh, you know, like probably like your industry. Uh, I know all the ins and outs. Uh, I know the behind the curtain scenes for a lot of staffs and what goes on. And, uh, you know, everybody always asks, hey, what, it's, what is it like to work for, for Mike? Uh, it's awesome. Um, and when I say that, like when you start tearing down and, and really looking at the, the reason why you work for someone or what makes a good working environment, uh, it's a person you trust, it's a person you respect. Uh, you know that they're a good human being. When they put their, you know, feet flat on the floor in the morning, they're trying to be the best husband, father, coach, etc. Uh, they care about your family. Uh, the people that are side by side with you, meaning I've been fortunate here, you know, everybody knows that Cliff Godwin is my best friends in the world. Mm-hmm. Mike Clement is the same. Like he's been a great, great friend, along with being a coworker. And then the other guys in the office. Um I'm I'm very fortunate and very blessed that. I'm excited to come into work every day. Uh, yeah, there's things like everybody's job there that you may not, you know, want to deal with. It's, it's just part of like, Hey, the, the recruiting rules or this, that, and the other, but I, I love what I do every single day and who I'm doing it with. And I know, uh, that's not everywhere. That's not, um, you know, that's not at every school on every coaching staff, uh, so on and so forth. So that's the main reason I stay here. Cause I'm not, uh, my blind ambition doesn't lead me to go to a place where I, I, I don't. I take for granted my day-to-day yeah. happiness, and the same for my family.
2: So I want to talk. Obviously, get into the the current roster a little bit. You've got a couple guys. I guess over the weekend, one with John Gaddis throwing on Saturday, and then Jack Washburn will get his opportunity in the midweek next week. The portal has become such a big deal. You and I talked about it. I guess last time we did this, maybe in the fall. And when you've got those two dudes, I mean, Gaddis coming from Corpus Christi where he got really hot and was great once he got completely healthy there. Washburn, obviously Team USA kid, was at, was at Oregon State. What do you know about these players when their names first pop in? And what does that first week look like when a kid gets in the portal? I mean, how do you sort of operate going from point A to point B when those things happen?
3: Man, that's a great question. Um, because it's a different mix especially with baseball. There are kids that you know the and the the other factor is this is when is the major league draft. Okay, so the and it may be different in football but uh, you had the final day or your last day to be put into the portal is July 1. Okay. Well, the draft doesn't happen until like July 15, 16, 17, 18. So some of the kids that you could try to get on in the portal may be doing that as just a backup plan to turn around and sign. And if they do that, and now you're in January, or excuse me, January, July 19th or 20th. Well, I mean, it, you're trying to put finalize a roster, so then it gets scary. Um, to be honest with you, navigating through that last summer, uh, took what little hair I had left and pulled mm-hmm. it out. Uh, it's, a, it's a learning experience. Probably the, the biggest thing with the portal that you feel like you get is you're, you're getting more apples to apples. Uh, and what I mean by that is you can go, okay, I can look at this guy's numbers in the pack and think that there's an easier transition to sure. the sec versus a high school or junior college kid. Um, it's harder to tell, but I think it, part of it, you really got to uh, dig into the kid. You got to dig into the video, the numbers, so on and so forth, but you got to get the backstory, you know, um, you've got to, Talk to people that can tell you, hey, this is what's going on with this kid. This is his makeup. This is the reasons why. And then make sure it fits what you're looking for, um, which for me, it's a, learning, it's a learning curve right now because, I mean, it's so new. Um, does it present opportunities? Yes. Uh, I think like all things, uh, even like social media, there's things that can be really good about it. And then there's things that can be really bad about it. And I think we're all just figuring that out right now.
2: So diving in a little bit, um, you know, with with Gaddis earning the, uh, the the Saturday spot. What, it, what what's what have you liked about him? Smart kid, deferring medical school for a season to finish his his career here. I know that you know sort of profiles as that really good college pitcher, the multiple pitches, the working fast and not walking. kind of what you want, especially I would assume in one of those Saturday Sunday kind of roles. What's what, what's he been like since he got on campus? Uh,
3: to be honest with you, just as a kid, he's been awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is, I think, really um acclimated to the team uh he seems to as far as far as part of the locker room he's been terrific like our guys really have taken him in and he's he's become one of us uh very quickly uh on the on the mound he's easy to love man he works really fast throws a ton of strikes and guys don't uh guys don't square it up um so when you look back at how he performed in the fall to how he's performed this spring uh it's not even a question like it was a it was a no brainer for him to you know start on saturday
2: what did you see from him when you're looking in the portal i mean like you said the, it's not the pack but he had pitched against sam houston he'd been on quite that run what was the hope when you look at numbers and how they were going to translate for a guy like Gaddis?
3: Uh you try to pull as much uh track man data uh because there's certain okay. things there's certain things that we may value in our program that maybe Auburn doesn't, or maybe Mississippi state doesn't, but uh, you knew that he had some, some carry to his fastball. Uh, You talked about Sam Houston. Uh, If you remember correctly, there was a a guy coaching there now that used to play here named Fuller Smith. So it's easy to pick up the phone and go, Hey Fuller, what'd you, what'd you think when you faced him? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, there's things like that. And I mean, obviously he's left-handed. And so you felt like the, the unique thing with him is, you know, the backstory, like you said, this is a, this is a really good kid, a kid that's, that's got his life together. Uh, And just from, because the makeup is, is big for us. We thought, you know, putting him into our program, he could, he could really help us. Uh, So it was kind of all those things that, that factored into us really, you know, pushing our chips in on.
2: And then with Washburn, I assume he had plenty of opportunities. It's like I said, a team USA guy, a guy that was projected to be a, pretty big part of Oregon State's roster had he stayed there mm-hmm. in, uh, in in Corvallis as well. Has that has that translated as you would have hoped and maybe seen sort of the things that you thought going in with with, with him?
3: Yeah, uh, a kid that has a, a great arm, uh, a ton of talent, ton of ability, uh, has a lot of toughness and competitiveness about him. Um, you know, and I think a kid that's going to be a big part of it for us here. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those deals as, as he got here and got going in the fall, like his first you know couple outings in the fall were terrific. Uh, through good against Alabama, uh, and as a guy, as we move through the spring, I think he's the he's the kid that he was in a relief role uh, for Oregon State, and he's you know trying to make that transition to a starter, and uh, you know I think that's something where he's grown with it each time out. But it's it's different, you know, for those guys. You and it's not only different. Everybody goes, well, what, what's so different about it? There's sometimes that you know guys have a mentality where they grab the ball running out of the pen, and it's just. Uh, like a bull in a china shop. It's just hard going right at him. And as a starter, it's, hey, I got to turn the lineup up twice. Uh, I've got to throw 100 bullets. I've got to get through five or six innings. So there's a different mentality. There's a different rhythm, um, you know, that he is that he's working on in one of that opportunity and is starting to figure out. So uh, we're excited to see him, you know, grow in that role.
2: I want to phrase this the right way because I don't mean tampering. I don't even mean anything untoward at all because Mike, be, Mike might be the most by-the-book guy that I've ever covered from that uh. standpoint. So I want to be very careful on how I say this. But sure. with the portal environment as it is, are there benefits to him being the head coach of Team USA this summer on just exposure and visibility as guys do move around
3: to the extent that they do in 2022? Uh, I, you know – it would seem like that, but I don't think so. Um, okay. and and really, you kids get in the portal for all kind of different reasons. You got you know John Gaddis, who's head coach at that university, contacted us. Like, yeah. you know, like so it wasn't anything weird. And you got some kids that are just mad and angry and want to leave, or there's a coaching <laughs> change or anything. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't necessarily know um the the advantage in that because it. Man, the portal just seems like the wild, wild west. Um, Anything and everything is on the table. Uh, I think there's, like I said, the good and bad in it. There are kids where it can really benefit them. Like uh, you even look at like a Jack Washburn where he's leaving Oregon State. Well, that wasn't even the staff that recruited him. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? That's not even what he, you know, when he's walking on campus as a freshman, that's a different staff taking over than, the one that had, I mean, from the pitching coach to the head coach, you know, you know, to all of it. So I think there's some good things with it, but then there's, you know, the the things that we see in, you know, Twitter world about football and obviously football is a different animal than baseball uh, that aren't so great. And that's what you've got to kind of sift through is, you know, what are you bringing into your program? Um, because the thing we found out specifically about baseball, I can't speak for other sports, but the chemistry and the camaraderie and the makeup of a team is so different in college. Um, you play 56 games; it's a lot of games. There's, you know, games can be win and lost, won and lost, just on the, the chemistry of a team more so than mm-hmm. just talent. It's not. It's, this isn't the major leagues where the reason they play 162 games and you sign the best players because talent wins out over time. That's not the college game. Uh, does talent matter? Sure. What are we, who are we kidding? but also the, the kind of kids that are in the dugout and the, the chemistry of the team are, are hugely important. So when you start looking at the portal, you got to ask yourself, why? Like, why is this kid in here? Why is he moving? Uh, is he going to be a good fit? Is, is his makeup what you want in your program? You don't
2: have necessarily the elite top prospect that you guys have had, a, frankly, most of the time over the course of your tenure as, as pitching coach, but you've got a lot of depth you got a lot of guys who could potentially end up in roles. And I asked Mike this last week, and it, it's one of the more fascinating things for me as this season plays out, is how do you balance giving guys enough of an opportunity to kind of know where they are and keep their spots? I mean, say, you know, Diamond, I mean, Daniel Gaddis and all these things, while also making sure to get the appropriate innings for all the other options that could turn or if you roll this thing over. I mean, what's, what's the puzzle look like to try to get these guys the appropriate number of innings?
3: Uh, I think that's a great question. The good thing is we have uh, the best hitting coach in the country. He teaches the home run better than anybody. So yeah, yeah. Tell all the fans make sure if he's not putting the home run sign on it, yeah, yeah. yell at him. Yeah. Um, you know, the good thing is, and, and being in all seriousness, is you have a, a terrific offense that you think will will cover you and give you some some opportunities for guys. But that, quite honestly, is the the, the biggest puzzle piece for us or what we're trying to figure out about this team for the first four weeks. The goal is to have it figured out by conference. Like when mm-hmm. you hit sec play, man, you got to know, you got to know who your Friday guy is, who's closing it. Uh, and on down the line as far as roles. And I think uh, there is a lot of talk internally, you know, within our office about who's going to start, what roles is going to, you know, could Brandon Johnson be a starter, man? He's thrown so well. Well, maybe it's good for him to be in the bullpen because he has a resilient arm. Maybe he can affect two games a weekend. Um, is, you know, this other pitcher more suited to, to start rather than come out of the pen. And so there's a lot of that, that we it's, uh, you stack it up based on what you've seen so far and you go for it, then you're just making adjustments, you know, each week. So things could look way different in a week or two than they do right now. That's a very real possibility. Um, but you got to start somewhere. Sure. And I think the, you know, the goal is like you said, just trying to get that top group of guys, the top eight, nine, 10 guys out there and get them as many looks and as many opportunities over these first four weeks to see which guys kind of gravitate and make a move. It always happens. Some guys pitch better than you think. Some guys pitch worse than you think. And then the, then the shuffle starts.
2: So Derek getting the ball tomorrow. Uh... If things go well for him, what does it sort of look like? What is the profile? Because you know he's a guy who, at times, he was 95, 96 last year. I mean, really humming it up there. It looks like he's pitching at a little lower velocity this season, try to do some different things. He talked to us about uh, kind of what went through with Broadway, where you put the right complement in place, use Rep Soto, and do all these different things to, to, to make it work. What is sort of his profile as he gets the ball as his third-year guy that seems to be different than it used to be?
3: Um, well, I think the biggest thing that started to happen for him at the end of last year, uh, a lot of times, you know, young, talented arms in high school, they just throw hard
1: mm-hmm. and
3: you can beat bats just by throwing hard. Well, When you get to the SEC, you can throw it really hard and then they can hit it really far. Uh, so where you throw it, how you change speeds, what you do matters. I think he started to really figure that out. So this year. Uh, especially in the fall, man, he is just really pitched. And so when you look at just a performance standpoint, when you start looking at, okay, let's take all the outings in the fall and let's take all the outings in the spring. Well, he and Gaddis were like, I mean, right up there one and two, as far as how have these guys performed. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the thing about Derek too, is one, he's super competitive, uh, really good athlete, three time, you know, Omaha challenge winner, all that. And he's done it a couple of years. So when you run him out, On Friday, you're getting someone that's ran out on that mound, that started in big games, you know is going to throw a lot of strikes and has been really performing well. Uh, Yes, going back to what you said, uh, you have seen some big velo from him in the past uh, at the beginning of last year, where I think he was just going out there just, uh, for lack of better terminology, just trying to throw the absolute hell out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think now you're seeing more of a calculated approach where – I'm trying to pitch. I'm trying to be here and have the same quality stuff at pitch 95. I'm trying to, you know, throw a fastball in the inside corner and spin a better breaking ball in the outside corner and get these guys out rather than just try to throw it really hard. So that seems to be what his approach has been, uh, you know, this fall and spring to be more just a pitcher, and he's done a really good job with that. The only two
2: guys you guys have on the roster who have SEC regular season starting experience, him and Drew McDaniel. Drew getting the ball on a Sunday. I know that he had worked on a lot of mental stuff. He was really good through the majority of the fall um, coming into the season, started preseason stuff pretty well. Uh, he talked to me a little bit about how getting out of his own head yesterday was talking about that he seemed to look so much more big picture in the past and it got him in trouble and everything kind of unraveled a little bit at times. Is that sort of the thing is keeping him in the moment as, as Sunday gets here?
3: Yeah, um, you know, kind of going back to his fall, he had a rough start to the fall. and. Uh, what you learn about, like as a coach, you know, we always talk about having different tools in our toolkit. Uh, some guys need to add a pitch. Some guys need to add arm strength. Uh, some guys, what, what's actually going through their ears, um, are going on in, in their head, that can affect their physical performance as much as anything. And I think Drew started to unlock that. Um, when you look at what he did from about the middle of the fall to the first two outings of the spring, uh, he had a stretch where he threw I want to say it was like 11 or 12 scoreless innings uh, gave up just a few hits punched out about a guy and a half per inning pitched and really threw the ball as well as he's ever has uh, and I think it's you've seen it in other players like uh, Henry Lartigue, who's a student coach this year uh, if you would ask us internally the first couple of years we thought Henry Lartigue was great but there's just the, the mental side of it where whatever you're thinking, whatever's going through your head, your perception of everything gets in your way of physical performance. And then all of a sudden you look up and you go, how the heck did Henry all of a sudden his junior year become this kind of player? Well, mm-hmm. he's always been this player. He's always had this ability. Uh, he just kind of got out of his own way. And I think that's the, the hope for Drew as we move into the spring. What does it
2: mean for these guys to have Hayden back there? Not just – him blocking everything, receiving like he does, maybe being the best defensive catcher in the country, but understanding them, having enough experience to be their mate. I mean, what, I mean, you were, you, you were back there. What, what does that do for a staff to have, have a guy
3: like him? Uh, when you think, uh, when a pitcher's on the mound and he thinks the catcher is really good, uh, it does wonders for him. I mean, it's, uh, I, I, you can't really quantify it, but there's such a a trust like it it's almost like a child and a parent where you think that they're going to make it okay. Um, I know that they're, (laughs) they're going to make everything okay. And there's a, there's a, there's a a comfort level there that helps bring the best out of the pitcher, And certainly he does that. Uh, The physical skills are there. Um, He can really receive uh, it can be a little unorthodox at times, uh, but he can really throw. Uh, But I think where Hayden continues to grow, like you'll see a lot of his, uh, body language. Like if you really get into the details of the game, uh, we kind of laugh and mess with him a little bit, but looks like he's out there landing a plane. Like, like he'll tell him like, Hey, stay right here with me. Or gets, you know, <laughs> fist and all that. And, uh, and that's good. That's good, man. That, that positive uh, view for them. And when you're out there and there's 10,000 people going nuts around you to, to be looking at that guy. And that guy is like one, you think that's the best catcher in the country. And he is like, He is absolutely in my corner, and we can do this, man. That's big; it's huge. Uh, So uh, he uh, is—he's definitely a big piece to the to the puzzle this year.
2: Yeah, like I said, I mean, physically, they trust that. Hey, if I've got to bury this thing, he's going to stop it. A guy's on third; it's not getting to the backstop. All that. Have you? I mean, not calling anybody out, but whether it's true team or something. Have you seen the inverse of that, where the guy's scared to death to do that thing in the dirt, and you go, "Oh hell, that can go anywhere."
3: Absolutely, you and I not call. You see that? How about this one? Uh, There's a guy at first base. Now you've got to hold runners on and you're trying to be so fast or you're so nervous because, you know, the guy behind the plate can't, you know, couldn't Mm -hmm. throw out me if I was running. Uh, That affects everything. Well, now you know that, hey, I got to do my part to control the running game, but Hayden's going to dang sure do his part. And he's, you know, he is a he's a threat. He is a deterrent from running, which, you know, when you don't feel that pressure, man, it makes it a lot easier to pitch, especially with runners on base. He showed so much toughness
2: plays with basically a broken finger or hand or whatever last year. What is the hope? And I know it's sort of a moving target. It's a living thing. But, you know, Gilvin, getting Calvin innings back there, just anything else? Like how do you sort of manage the the catching spot from a, from a workload standpoint?
3: Well, I think you'll see Calvin get a lot of innings in the midweek behind the plate. Uh, certainly he's a talented kid. Uh, he's kind of the – you know, you look at it. The, the guy that's uh, kind of the future back there is, is Hayden moves on. And Calvin has, is athletic enough to play other positions and swung the bat really well. So he can mix in uh, and give at-bats in different ways. But the thing you don't want to do is you, you don't want to have uh, your main catcher catching all the on time to where he's just worn out, beat to death by the end of the year. Uh, you know, last year we got to a point where Knox was, you know, banged up. Uh, Calvin obviously couldn't catch. And Hayden was having to catch in the midweeks, uh, which, to be honest with you, we would have rather let you know Dunhurst maybe DH or if we mm-hmm. wanted to get into the bats and not catch, and we just didn't have that option. This year we're going to have that option, and, and Harris is Harris has been good, man. Uh, he has been been terrific, uh, and he's such a good athlete that you may see that kid at first base some. You may see him in the outfield some. You may see him DH, uh, and then I think you'll certainly see him catch you know, in the midweek
2: newcomers, arms, freshmen, uh, who's kind of in that group that you want to make sure you get some early innings to?
3: Uh, I think Dylan DeLucia. Absolutely. He was a performer at uh, Northwest Florida. Uh, I really like him. Uh, Riley Maddox has been terrific. Uh, Mason Nichols has been terrific. Uh, I think you're going to see those guys run out there opening weekend. Hunter Elliott, uh, really good arm. Uh, excited about those guys that, you know, we haven't talked about or, or listed. Uh, From a newcomer standpoint, uh, you know, I think you're going to see Reagan Burford, you know, get out there and and get a lot of ABs. Uh, He's played really well. Uh, You know, the guy that's – he's not a a newcomer, but uh, Kemp Alderman's been a different dude. uh, Mm -hmm. Been a way different dude. I mean, really good at bats. Uh, Everybody knows about his power, um, but really, really good at bats and and, uh, working counts, laying off pitches, not chasing. Uh, So, I'm excited to see what he can do as well
2: we talked about the pitching a lot. And I mean, this might be more Mike and Clement's problem, but you got a lot of roster turnover after this season, obviously between graduations and drafts and just eligibility deals. You're focused on the now, obviously you're trying to get to the college world series. You're trying to do all those sort of things, but you kind of look over in the right, you know, the side of your head and go a guy like Banks Talley or some of those dudes, they do need some mid bats because while you got everybody back, there's a hellacious
3: amount of turnover where those dudes might need to be the dudes next year. No doubt uh, that that comes into play. And I think coach uh, coach probably does a better job of that than I could. Uh, I'm really bad about seeing the the big picture unless I'm talking about recruiting. Uh, but when we get into the scenario of playing, you know, on the weekend and playing Tuesdays, it's, you know, one track mind is trying to win. But he's he's really good at having feel with that. And so uh, I certainly think that's taken into account as he makes his decision, certainly in this non-conference time. And then, you know, uh, I think our fans see it, they go, well, you know, why the heck is this guy getting a start on, on Tuesday? Well, because you got to get him out there a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you'll see some of that uh, with a number of guys on the roster. We didn't mention him just
2: – and I'll get yelled at if I don't. What 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 is sort of the role to begin the year? Or what are you uh, seeing out of Doherty in year two?
3: Man, he's one of those guys that uh, the role is going to be big, Um whether it's at the end of the game, could he start? Um, and I think that's, a, I think that's a, a dynamic that we're trying to figure out. Uh, obviously, he was really good in the bullpen, and you feel like, you know, as we start this weekend, you got Nichols, you got Maddox, you got Delucia, you got Elliott, and then you've got Brandon Johnson and Doherty on the back end. You, you feel really good about how your pen's starting off. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be the thing for us is do some of those guys – uh, pitch so well that they move into a starting role. Uh, are we better off doing that? And and what do those adjustments look like? So uh, whether it'll be at the end of the game, uh, whether it will be starting games, he's gonna throw he's gonna throw innings of consequence. You know, big innings for us. So uh, I don't know exactly what the future will hold, uh, but I know that we can't get to where we want to want to be without Jack Doherty.
2: I've always laughed in the past when you guys have played really Dan. I guess clipped to an extent, but Dan because of it's a mirror on the field. They're doing the exact same thing at the exact same time. It's the same system. I mean, it's just it, – yeah. it literally looks like synchronized swimming out there a little bit in a pregame. Is, uh, is McMillan taking over the system at all? Am I, I, I going to get to laugh tomorrow? What is, what, what's he doing?
3: I would assume there's going to be a lot of similarities. There's going to be do some, do some things. Guys, you'll probably see some different colored shirts. You'll see a yeah, shirt yeah. dug out. Um, and I think that's just uh, – you know, that's a product of, hey, you're in a place that had success and – you know, usually success breeds success. You take things from it, so I, I think that's kind of the the snowball of it all. Uh, but probably so. I, I don't know specifically. I got it's just a guess, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there'll be some similar stuff. All right. Well, appreciate it, bud. Good luck uh, tomorrow, and let's do it again. Absolutely. Thank you.
1: A reminder that you have until February the twentieth to sign up for Oxford Park Commission youth baseball and softball for the twenty twenty two. Spring season, leagues open to ages 5 to 17 in baseball, 5 to 12 in softball. The cost to uh, participate is $50 per player. season begins on Monday, April the 25th. All games played at M Trade Park. Go to com to sign up. we brought to you by Brothrow. It's a social sports betting network, free to use. Um, I was introduced to Brothrow back in the fall. It's a really cool, fun way to bet. No third party, no juice. Over time, that saves you money. You can start your own group, make friends, invite your friends. Payment happens within 24 hours of the conclusion of your bet. You can take the other side of an existing bet, start a new bet, and more at brothrow.com. Valentine's Day on Monday. Running out of time, but if you're still looking for that perfect gift for your special someone, Dead Soxie has your gifting covered. Nothing says I love you like some good socks. Dead Soxie has increased the discount on our Rebel Grove code to 30% off from now through midnight on Monday. So head over to the site, see all the new styles, take advantage of this amazing offer, and happy Valentine's Day from Dead Soxie. Game Changer Patches, the only two-patch system available in the market to stop hangovers before they start. The warm-up patch is used before or while you drink. The overtime patch is used after you've been drinking to recover while you sleep. The all-natural ingredients will keep you in the game, ready for the next place. Go to GameChangerPatch.com. Enter the promo code REBELGROVE20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase. ACS is owned by Clay McNutt in Baldwin, Mississippi. Automation and Control Systems, LLC. It's a complete electrical control system solution provider and a Rockwell Automation Recognized System Integrator. They've got a full-time dedicated emergency service and troubleshooting staff and a UL508A panel shop. If you're in need of custom HMI and SCADA solutions or large horsepower VFD specialist, acs has you covered they can service and install rockwell automation allen bradley siemens abb square d and many other manufacturers for more information or to get in touch with acs go to acs or call 662-601-4381 we're brought to you by lamins fine jewelry be a great place to stop this weekend get your valentine's day gifting done it's at 1126 North Lamar Boulevard in Oxford. They've been serving the Oxford area for almost three-quarters of a century, from engagement rings to wedding rings. Fine jewelry, watches, pearls, fashion jewelry, children's jewelry, collectibles, and more. Lamons is the gold standard in fine jewelry. Go to lammonsfinejewelry.com or call them at 662-234-2777. The College Corners, your one-stop Rebel shop. Two locations in the Jackson area in Ridgeland. It's next to Fleet Feet in Flowood. It's next to Half Shell. If you don't live in Jackson, just go to collegecornerstore.com. Plus, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Whether you're tailgating in Oxford or home-gating with friends and family, the College Corner has you covered for game day, the largest selection of Rebel gear in central Mississippi. And we're brought to you by Pinnacle. Pinnacle is based in Madison, Mississippi. represents clients in more than 20 states, has advisors in multiple states as well. They provide detailed specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan that is built just for you. It's mypinwealth.com, M-Y-P-I-N-N-Wealth.com. And we're brought to you by John Edwards, Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. Going we'll to be talking to John soon, uh, doing a travel podcast for you guys. But if you uh, need information now, get in touch with John. Just give him some parameters and a budget. He'll give you options that you're not going to find on your own that will create a trip that is a uh, one that creates a lifetime of unique memories. 901-494-3387 or send him an email at jedwards at regencytravel.net. That was Chase Parham, Carl Lafferty, earlier today, Ole Miss again, Charleston Southern and Ole Miss, 4 o'clock tomorrow, one thirty on Saturday and Sunday, full weekend of baseball. The weather should be great, a little cool tomorrow, and then great weather Saturday and Sunday for uh, Ole Miss and Charleston Southern. Baseball, of course, that means that baseball is happening all over the SEC starting tomorrow. So we talked about some of the other teams and dove into Ole Miss as well with Chris Lee. He covers the SEC as a whole for southeastern14.com. A lot of baseball conversation here, some Ole Miss baseball, and then we talk SEC basketball, not only teams vying for tournament bids, but also teams that – programs that might have decisions to make here at the uh, end of the season in a month or so. So here's Chris Lee of southeastern14.com. Chris Lee of uh, southeastern14.com, Vandysports.com. you know him from that – Got a lot of stuff going on with Chris. We're going to talk some uh, SEC baseball here in a moment. Chris, I do want to get into basketball in a minute too, but before we do any of that, first, welcome into the show. I want you to tell people about some of the stuff you've got going on because you're doing some daily stuff that I think a lot of people in our audience would be interested in.
4: Yeah, and, and here's the impetus of this. I've been watching SEC football, basketball, baseball for a long time, and it, and football is is covered to the max. I'm not saying it couldn't be better. I'm not saying we don't do some of that. But I've always felt that baseball was severely undercovered. I've always felt you hear people say, well, football is the only thing worth covering. I've never believed that. You see the passion in this league for baseball. I'm a baseball first guy. Have been since I was a kid. Uh, that's my favorite pro sport. I've always felt like the league deserved more coverage than it gets. I just have so much fun watching every team in the league and basketball has gotten the same way that the product is, is phenomenally good. Um, I think it's been undercovered. And so what we started at Southeastern 14 was an attempt to cover all three of those sports, but really to cover basketball and baseball the way that everybody else covers football. If you go to our YouTube channel, we're putting up at least a video every day on basketball where we predict games and, or we talk about what happened last night. So, if, if you're looking, if you've got an appetite to really know what goes on at every team in the league, um, I think we're doing stuff that nobody else is doing. All right. I
1: want to get into it. You want to start? Let's let's, do, let's start baseball. Yeah. Because uh, you're on this podcast, you're following Carl Lafferty and Chase Parr. I'm talking Ole Miss baseball. They did a 30 minute deep dive on Ole Miss's season, which begins on Friday with Charleston Southern. Obviously, in about a month, we're going to be talking SEC baseball. They're going to start playing each other. You've got all the banners there behind you. I'm looking at Florida and Georgia and Kentucky and Missouri and on and on. Just before we dive into some specific teams, just in general, is the league as good this year in baseball as it always is? Better? Worse? What do you expect?
4: My perception, and I'm going to hard hedge here with the fact that the pitching in terms of returning arms is, is not what it is most years, but my perception of the league may be as strong as it's ever been. I'll, I'll give you two reasons. Um, when you go through and pick hitting teams, and I pick three of them that will release probably today. There's some, I'm, we're going to get hate mail because there'll be some good players that are left off. You look at the first team. It looks like the all American team. Uh, it may be the same thing. Um, that that's one thing. The other thing is you look at the coaches, um, and other than maybe Missouri and maybe Kentucky, and even at Kentucky, they've had some really good years. I mean, it is it is a who's who of coaching. You look at Jay Johnson coming to LSU. You look at what Tim Corbin and Kevin O'Sullivan have done. Dave O'Horn, uh, Dave Van Horn, even guys like Auburn was down, but Butch Thompson's a, a tremendous coach. Yeah, um, Chris Lamontus at State. Between just the hitting in this league, which I think is the best I've ever seen, and I've watched the league for about 20 years now, and a coaching roster that's just ridiculous. We talk about it in football. I think it's maybe more ridiculous in baseball. I think I think the league is primed for a tremendous year. and I, I think one of the best things about it, Neil, is you've got maybe six teams that could win this thing, uh, and, and then a couple other teams that could easily find their way in the top 25 if the schedule doesn't pick somebody off but i think it's i think it's about as fascinating a year walking in as i remember and i i just can't wait to see it get started you know people
1: people forget the last two teams standing were sec teams a year ago i mean it's 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 always that way mississippi states we'll start with them mississippi state gets its national championship um you mentioned chris Lamonis, the job he's done there's amazing what um do you expect them to, to take a step back after winning a championship? Obviously, some guys left, but that's still a super talented uh, roster. There's some pitching at the top that was instrumental to them winning a championship that's back. How do you sort of break them down?
4: Well, and, and to even add a, a step to your question there is, is a sidebar, and then I'll go into your the answer you're looking for. I mean, you had the East champ that got picked off <laughs> in Omaha, and, and the West Champ that got picked off in a Super Regional, so that the champs from each division weren't even in the finals in Omaha, which tells you something. But to to me, Neil, I, I think you can make a case that the both the Mississippi schools are as interesting uh, teams as there are out there. I, I think with State, I look at that lineup; they got a lot of guys back, and that's the way they've done it. They they always have a couple seniors, juniors at the top who are really good. You know, a couple years ago was Mangum. Last year was Jordan and 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 Tanner Allen, but you got a lot of guys like Cameron James, people like that that have been back and gotten at bats. Kelly McClark, who came on in Omaha, um, so I think they've got a solid lineup. Is it Ole Misses or LSU's? No, is it good enough to win? Probably. The thing with them, and you saw it a year ago, is like you watched them, and outside of Sims and Bedner last year, their pitching staff didn't wow you. But where they beat Vanderbilt in the end is once Vanderbilt got past its five or six arms, it had nothing left. And State's got guys that it can throw for an inning, two-thirds of an inning. And it's got like 14 of them. And I would presume that's going to be the plan again this year. I want to see how good those guys are. I want to see what Sims looks like in a starting role. Um, but, yeah, they're intriguing. And I think he's – I think Chris Limonis is, is probably a top-five coach in college baseball based on what we've seen in his time there. Oh, I do
1: too. You know, now they've – I started to say they get the target on their back, but Mississippi State's always kind of had a target on its back because of the way that that fan base embraces baseball, because of the way that that administration embraces baseball, the way that they make no bones about the fact that they emphasize the sport there. That sort of makes you a big game. But you're right, just sticking in the West for a minute. I mean, the team that I think throughout the season, most of us said that's probably the best team in the West is Arkansas. And you know we all all year. Although I can remember on the Oxford Exxon podcast a number of times saying they're really built for the regular season, and they 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 they're so good that you're you're never going to see them have some big losing streak. But there was always something about them that bothered me, and I wasn't sure what it was. And I'm not sure that even watching them lose to NC State, that I even saw exactly what it was. But There was just something about them. I think it was being so dependent on the same one or two arms that when you didn't have those one or two arms on the mound, that maybe it was even psychological that you took a little step back. And so for Arkansas, what's interesting, as you get ready for their opener uh, Friday as well, is you know that their lineup's good. They've got bats throughout. You know that he's done a great job of uh, building a deep roster but you do wonder, without Peyton Paulette at the top, out for the mm-hmm. year with the Tommy John thing, does that sort of start them on a path where they're going to be dependent on the same arms too much and you get into June and a super regional round or something and you just kind of can't finish it?
4: Yeah, I mean, here's, and here's the weird thing about the league too, Neil. I thought maybe the best two starting pitchers coming into the year, they're both probably not going to throw a pitch this year he and Blade did well. And so that hurts. I I think that has to knock Arkansas down a little bit, although I think their schedule in the West was easily the most favorable and that helps. But yeah, I mean, postseason, it's like a truth serum, right? It's like, who do you trust? And the the thing that I'd worried about them for a long time is, is you saw how many pitches cops would throw. And it's like, it's the sixth inning. We're in trouble. Let's let him ride it out. And you're like, you know, at some point that's going to take its toll, probably, and it did. Um, I think the blood injury really hurts them. You no, know, their lineup's good enough to carry them. And again, that that home schedule and everything is gonna help. Connor Nolan's gonna be the guy. Um, I talked to our our buddy um at the Arkansas site, Andrew Hutchinson's a good buddy of mine. Yeah, he said Nolan's had a pretty good off season, is maybe taking signs of stepping up. They've got Hagen Smith, the lefty freshman who's really good. Jax Wiggins is back. Um, you know, the thing is, they've got like some arms that you have seen pitch before. They're not spectacular, uh, but Heston, Toll, Tress, kids like that. And the thing about Van Horn staffs, like everything that you Arkansas isn't always you one of the best two or three pitching staffs in the league, but it's kind of a Mississippi State light from last year. They got a lot of guys that can throw an inning or two. Yeah, sure. And the lineup can flat out hit. So he's a great coach. I, I don't count them out of winning the whole thing. But I think I have questions about the pitching, too, and and you saw where it bit them a year ago. I was I was in that same boat with you. I wasn't going, hey, Arkansas is a slam dunk to win this whole thing because I was watching the same stuff you were and going, you know, the needle, that they got a thread. And then when Wicklander got hurt.
1: Yeah, it was a killer. That
4: really, that really was a killer, yep. and that's, that's what got them in the end. You know, it's funny because – and I don't –
1: Chase covers – Ole Miss on a day-to-day basis for us. I, I made myself start watching it more last year and doing a show, a weekly show this year with Peyton Chattonnet, the Ole Miss second baseman. And so I, I'm, it's going to force me to keep up with it even more than I, I normally would, which is good. I need to. But when I look at Ole Miss, I see a lot of Arkansas, right? Oh, yeah. There's this lineup that can hit up and down. Uh, there, there's some high-profile bats in the lineup at Ole Miss, just like there are in Arkansas. I mean, even all the way to the second baseman, right? You got a guy like Robert Moore at, at, um, at, at Arkansas, Peyton at, at Ole Miss. I mean, two kind of similar spark plug, really good players at the top of the lineup who make things happen and that kind of thing. Um, and yet with Ole Miss, I have some questions about pitching. It, you know, Ole Miss has always had these dominant front of the rotation lineup, I mean, rotation arms. And, and i not saying Diamond's not that, but I'm not sure that he is that. And, yeah. and they, don't, they don't have those guys. Now, I've heard Chase say this. Peyton said this uh, on a show that hopefully will be on our network here pretty soon. Um, there's more arms. There's more guys. But just like at Arkansas, and, and I'm only comparing because we just talked about Arkansas, it's the same things I think at Ole Miss. Is if there's a scenario where at the end of the year, Ole Miss is in Omaha and we're talking about them it's going to be because some arms that we're not talking about here today on February the 17th stepped up. In the same way that if Arkansas is in Omaha, it's going to be because some arms that we're not talking about today because we really don't know who they are have stepped up.
4: I think, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on your podcast, I think they are the most interesting team in the league to watch for for a bunch of reasons. Um, And, boy, there's, there's a lot to unpack here, so I hope I don't forget something. I talked about how loaded this league is for hitters. Neil, we're going to release three all SEC teams. Ole Miss is going to have six guys on those three teams. That's that's two thirds of their lineup. Yeah, and and by the way, some of the other guys that aren't in there aren't bad either. Um, The pitching is the question, but it's the question with everybody, right? I mean, like, sure, you know, Vanderbilt's in my backyard. Everybody's sitting there going, "Well, they're going to go Riley Little." two first-round kids. He released his rotation yesterday. Neither of those guys are in there. They're having trust issues with getting people to throw strikes. I think – I think, I don't know. I want to see how this plays out because I think every team might have some of that. Like, even if you're Mississippi State, you got maybe the best pitcher in the league coming back in Landon Sims. Totally different role, though, Neil. And one thing I look at, and you see this a lot in college baseball, and this is where I'm intrigued with Ole Miss. You see those guys that are five and a half ERA guys that have got good stuff. When they become juniors and sometimes seniors, you shave two, maybe three runs off that ERA. Um, and maybe I'm the wrong guy to ask, or maybe I'm the right guy. I, I happened to see Ole Miss last year a lot of times when the pitching clicked. And I look at the arms like you know McDaniel, and, and they had a bunch of them. They would come in and throw gas, and you're like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't see the problem here. Um, but then you'd, you'd see those box scores on the Sunday where it was 13 to 11 and the ball's flying out. And so obviously it was there. The, the thing with Ole Miss, I think it's going to be interesting to me, sometimes just like how many guys do you have coming back that have done this before? And you look up and down their pitching rotation and, and their bullpen, and I think Ole Miss has got as many guys that I can count that, that have had roles of some significance before. So to me, like if, if you say to me, we're doing this at the end of June and Ole Miss has won the national title. I'm not going to be surprised because I think I know what they get in their lineup. And, and maybe it's that year where you hit it. And you said it too, Neil, they have always developed pitching. You back as long as Bianco has been there, they've had pitching. And so maybe it's another year where it's a nightmare and these guys can't keep it in the park, but maybe it's a year where these guys that have got really good stuff, they figure out stuff with location and, and it clicks. And we're saying, That was the best team in the league in the country. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. I I think they are, I think they're going to be fascinating to watch this year.
1: I do too. Uh, You know, I don't, again, I'm not as intimately attached to covering them as Chase is. I think they're going to Omaha. I I think they've got that team and I think they have the veterans. I think so much is made of Ole Miss and the Bianco 21 years, one trip, and they get tight and they get this and they get that. They had key injuries last year at the end. You know, you built your whole run in having Hoagland available, and then he's not. Yeah, You do that to anybody. Like you talked about with Arkansas, right? And I can almost feel the people yelling at me about comparing the two schools. Uh, But when Wicklander went down, it totally changed what they could do in the postseason, and you didn't have all. If you were to tell Dave Van Horn, hey, you're going to lose Paulette, He's not going to be available at the end. As much as it would pain him to tell you this, he would say, all right, well, then don't even let me start with him. Let, yeah. me, let me go without him so that we can get the growing pains out of the way and figure it out, if it can be figured out. Maybe it can't be figured out. But if we're going to figure it out, give me three months to figure it out, not three days. Does yeah. that make sense? And so – Yeah, and I'm going to – didn't have that benefit yeah. last year. It happened with Hoagland yeah. late in the year. And then he's out, and you're scrambling. And it's, okay, well, what do we do with Mackayzy? And do we have, you just didn't have other pieces, and they didn't have that depth of pitching. And and once the margin for error shrunk to virtually zero, they ran into a hot hitting Arizona team out in Tucson, and that was that, right? And so yeah, I, but I think they learned a lot from that with this veteran lineup that they have. All those guys have been through it before. They're not going to get intimidated. They have some other arms, and I just kind of have this suspicion. That this is the year they kind of figure it out a little bit mm-hmm. and get through it, and and I think in a league where you, this might be the the year that you out hit people to a championship. They're built to do that.
4: Yeah. If I have one issue with SEC baseball fans, that I think that they sometimes they bring a little bit of the football mentality to it, where think- where every game is is yeah. I, I know that's crazy, right? Who. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, I love the things. people
1: on our message, board yeah. course, but sometimes I look at it's like the fifth inning of a Tuesday game Yeah, hanging on every pitch and I'm like, I get it. But at the same time, this, this is, this is not a healthy way to approach this because it's, <laughs> right. it's not going to, it's not ultimately going to impact whether your team makes it to the, the the final destination or not you know if yeah Arkansas State beats you on a random Tuesday six to four is it at the end of the year really going to matter the answer is almost yeah. almost certainly not you know I, mean, I, I remember Ole Miss went to Ruston last year early in the year and Louisiana Tech popped them good yeah and, you know it turned out Tech was a good team but uh you know it was this chaos it's over my god and it's like no at the end of the day none of that mattered i mean that that didn't hurt you it it didn't impact your season at all it was just a blip on a 50 some odd game radar at the end of the day and i've always said this and i think you agree with this the 30 games you play against SEC opponents those are the games if you're going to get hung on every pitch of every game pick those 30 yeah not the other ones
4: but but even then neil um and I've seen this watching Vandy up close. Every year in his rotation, like you'll go, well, this is the year you need to go Bueller, Fulmer, and whoever their third guy was back then. And and you look at him, and there's a parallel Ole Miss that I'm going to get to shortly. And, and all of a sudden he's going, well, Bueller's my midweek guy, and I'm throwing Jared Miller in there. And you're like, wait a minute. And they will take some lumps during the season where he lets guys figure it out or not figure it out. And then when they get to the postseason. You're seeing guys, you know, getting a Saturday start in a, in a winner's bracket game that that maybe didn't start on a weekend all year, um, and I think that's where Arkansas does well too. You, Van Horn is a, I've dealt with him occasionally after a, a game. Well, they'll get pounded, and he's just so even keeled, and he's knowing, okay, my guys are going to take some lumps. Yeah, um, and I think sometimes you've got to let guys pitch through that. But and and this is where. Okay, you're covering a, a a unique situation as as I've established. I think they're really good, mm-hmm. and I think they've got some arm talent. But you're dealing with a coach who just put whatever word you want on it. Flirted with LSU or whatever. I inter- he People went for the job.
1: Mad. He interviewed People for get- the job. It's a real complicated yeah. deal. But yeah, he he. Inter- it's so complicated. I mean, yeah. Not to, not to derail your thoughts, but it's so important to put this in context. He interviewed for the job because Ole Miss told him to interview for the job he interviewed for the job because he thought he was getting the job and Ole Miss let him go interview for the job because Ole Miss wanted him to get the job because Ole Miss was going to hire Dan McDonald at Louisville that's that is what was happening and yeah and so when he comes back when he realizes oh god I'm not getting the job my agent got played I got played Scott Woodward's playing chess and we're all playing checkers what do you do? And they had to go, we'll come back. Well, but, and, and then they come up with this ridiculous press thing. That was just new heights and stuff that the new heights <laughs> implies when well, you say we're going to take the program, the new heights. There's only one way to read that. There's right. Only, there's only, if you're a fan who's pissed off, the only way that you can read that is, well, we've been to the super regional the last two times we could 2020 doesn't count because the season got stopped. But for the, oh, for the record, we were number one in the country when the season got stopped. But in 19, we were one game away in in Fayetteville from going to the the Super Regional. And in 21, we were two games away in Tucson from going to the Super Regional. So the only place that we, if you're an Ole Miss fan, can look at as new heights is, oh, it means we're going to Omaha. So if we don't go to Omaha, get your ass out. And that is a weird dynamic to launch a season with.
4: Yeah, well a lot there and and that's kind of where I was going with the pitching thing is that it's one thing when when things are kind of calm and you're not a coach who presses yourself but against that backdrop I do worry and I don't know his temperament because I don't deal with him but to me if the fans don't let off the gas pedal a little bit if that becomes an issue that I wonder how that dynamic works out to where you need to let things pan out And maybe you lose a weekend series that you're not supposed to lose, but maybe it gets you to the answer that you need in in June, which is really what matters. And I'll I'll go – look, I don't see them up close every game like the fans do. I've always thought he's done a a pretty underrated – it's hard to be really good all the time, which Ole Miss is. I mean, Ole Miss is never a team that's that's 8-22 and – and sitting at home in Hoover, that's really hard to do, and you don't appreciate it until you don't have it anymore.
1: Yeah, Chase and um, I talk about this all the time, but to that point, we we always talk about this as one of the things about Ole Miss from a coverage standpoint, from a media standpoint, is that you never have to worry about the baseball no. season like what's happening in basketball right now. We'll talk basketball later, but you never have that year where it's like, okay, well, there's nothing to write about. There's nothing to talk about. There's no suspense. There's no storyline. There's no... Uh, you know the 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 battle for to host. We yeah. we, we get a, we get a month out of the out of the host thing every year. You know what do you have to do to host? What are the metrics? Oh, and can you be one of the top eight? That's that becomes a storyline. And then then you're into the postseason. And then it's either you know oh god they lost and let's is it fireable or what? You won't get you get all those storylines with Ole Miss baseball. There's a lot of stuff to write about. So, yeah. I mean, you know, like on the flip side, I mean, like you get a basketball season like the one that Ole Miss has right now where. I mean, I'm on month two of what the hell am I writing about, which is a completely yeah. different thing. And so from a, you know, from a fan standpoint, um, it's always dramatic and it always, you always view it in that dramatic prism. And, and now it's, it's, it appears to be really laser focused from a fan standpoint of is this is Omaha or bust. And that is a weird way for any team to approach a season, even like Vanderbilt, yeah. for example, who goes to Omaha frequently, I don't know that Tim Corbin would like the idea of, okay, well, this season is Omaha or bust.
4: Well, look, it took – people forget this now. It took Tim eight or nine seasons to get there. And I used to sit with him, and it would be like – you could see the look in his eyes and, like, am I, am I ever going to get there? And, and I think after 07 and after 13, um, you know, when they were number one all year in, in 07 and, and then wet the bat against Michigan – and then in 13, where they go 26-3 and three in the league and can't get out of their home regional against Louisville, I think he was really as much as anybody going, is this ever going to happen? And, well, you know, you, you look at the last decade, and frankly, they might have another one in there if the, if the Donnie Everett thing doesn't happen. But th- this is where, to me, this comes full circle with Ole Miss, Neal. Um, postseason is what everybody looks at, and I get it. But I think if you replayed his tenure again, Just by dumb luck, they'd be in Omaha three or four times, I I think, don't you?
1: I do. I do. I think, and then I I do think it,
4: now, the flip
1: side of that, Chris, is that I do think at some point you do look at the number, and I don't have it in front of me. Chase would know it right off the top of his head, but it's like one in nine, one in ten in games to get to Omaha. And at that point, you do have to ask, okay, is that bad luck or is that tightness? Yeah. is that stress what 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 is that you know I can as you know you're wearing your Braves hat I'm a Cubs fan you know I can remember you know the opportunities for the Cubs in 84 and then in 03 and you know 08 and to to win and you didn't win and boy it becomes this thing that you talk about it becomes this yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy it's like you know people talk about the 2016 season As exciting as the night that the Cubs won the World Series was, the night that they beat the Dodgers to get to the World Series was this overwhelming sense of, oh, thank God, it's over. I never have to talk about that or think about that again. And that's for a fan. You can only imagine what that was like for people inside the organization. So, yeah, for Mike, the one thing that if you could go back and change something, you'd make one of those first – like that Texas series in 05 or whenever that was, when he had a great team. If that team could have won one of those two games against Texas and gotten to Omaha, is the approach different over the years? You know, in, in 19, did they lose to Arkansas on the third game because they were tight? No, they lost because it's hard to beat Arkansas in Fayetteville. Look at, I mean, you know, it was a major upset last year when NC State did it. Um, yeah, you know it's, it's so. It, it, last year, Arizona was the better team at the end of the year. They were the healthier, better team. It was it psychological, no, but I can see how you get to that place, you know. And so, if Ole Miss doesn't get to Omaha, it, it as much as people go, it's this easy decision about what to do with Mike. But the truth is, is it's not an easy decision. Yeah. You know, we were talking about this, Chris, the other day on the podcast because Ole Miss had played basketball against uh, South Carolina on Tuesday night. You probably watched it, or forced yourself to watch it, I should say.
4: I saw and, the end for sure.
1: Yeah, there was yeah. nobody there. Right? There was yeah. the environment was terrible, and and all that. And we were talking about how you know you can judge the health of a program by attendance, by environment, by excitement. You you can. You absolutely can. And. If you do that, if you're honest, Ole Miss will open on Friday afternoon. It'll be about 48 degrees in Oxford, and that stadium will be absolutely packed with excitement yeah. and bodies everywhere, kids packed in right field, people packed in left field, the grandstand's packed, the club's packed, uh, everybody cheering, everybody excited. And if you're going to be honest and fair about it, you have to go, well, that's the sign of a healthy program. And if the program's been healthy for 20 years now, when you change it, there's always a chance that you bring in somebody who's better always. And there's always a chance that you bring in somebody who's much worse. And so yeah. you, it is a gamble right at that point. So that's what that, that, you're exactly right. I think, and I know I'm here and so it's easy to go, this is the most interesting story, but I do think in the league, Ole Miss is the most intriguing, interesting story. Not yeah. necessarily the best team, uh, but the most, in, the most compelling story, if you were to just put all BS aside and write about the story every day, they're, they're, they're really interesting.
4: Well, and, and again, pitching is their question mark, but his track record of developing arms over his career is pretty good um, from, from, from afar to me. So, again, that, that's a that's thing that I'm looking at to be a little bit encouraged about.
1: You mentioned Vanderbilt. They're right there in your in your town. They've dominated the sport. I had a mailbag question, Chris. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Someone said, uh, Tim Corbin is the Nick Saban of college baseball. And I thought at first, I was like, well, don't you have to do it a little bit longer than Corbin's done? Yeah. Maybe? and Don't you have to win a little bit more than he's won, meaning win the whole thing? And I know winning in baseball and winning in football are two different creatures because of series and pitching and stuff different sports, right? You can, you can dominate football in a way that you can't really dominate baseball. Yeah. But the job Corbin's done, the program he's built, have you ever tried to kind of put it in perspective?
4: I mean, the Saban comp is, is one I understand, but, but let's be, nobody's Nick Saban, but sure. I'll tell you this. And I know people are focused on the scholarships and I, I get all the reasons why, um, there, there's another side of that discussion. Um, you know, we, we could have a little bit if you want, or if not, it's no big deal. Um, but th- that job, and, and I, I know because I deal with it too from a media standpoint, there is so much crap that you have to deal with at that place that you don't have to deal with anywhere else. Um, I had a, a former media relations guy put it to me this way, and I thought it was perfect. Um, like at every other school, you get privileges because you're in sports. You know, that, and, and this place is different. You get discriminated against because of sports. And, he, like, he's had to deal with – I'll give you, like, an easy one. Okay. They had a phenomenal media relations team a few years ago. I would sit in the press box, and they would be shooting video on the field and and tweeting out – I mean, they have – they have or had the, the best Twitter following in the country among baseball programs. and And it's – yes, it was because they were good, but they also had – some really good people. And when Tim has control of something, it's going to be first class. Well, he wakes up two summers ago and the school has decided to let go its entire athletics communications department and just, just hire people from scratch. I won't get into the reasons why. I mean, it was, a, it was an awful decision. I wrote about it. They didn't take kindly to it. But sometimes you just, you wake up over there and stuff falls from the sky that hits you that you never see coming, and I, I think that's where people probably underrate him. They look at the scholarships and all those things, and I'm I'm not saying all those points are invalid, but I think the thing that makes him special is he's found a way. And and, and let's be clear too, you do have some advantages because that that degree carries some cachet, and and the people that play baseball are upper middle class white people who you know value education, and that helps too, but. He deals with a tremendous amount of stuff that nobody ever knows about. Um, And I, I think people know he's a great coach, but I think sometimes they don't know all the stuff that he has to deal with privately that no other school in the SEC would dream of dealing with.
1: How good is this year's team? I know it's good. Is it in comparison to some of the previous teams? And is this one that you would be surprised if it doesn't get to Omaha?
4: I think this team is the hardest one to figure out that I've covered. Really? Um, and I think it and, and now look, if you said they're going to win at all, in my surprise, no. They've they've got the talent. If you said are they gonna slip up and be a a run of the mill two seed somewhere, I don't think that'll happen, but I think it could. Um, I think they got issues throwing strikes. I think if Christian Little and Pat Riley were throwing strikes, they'd be in the rotation. They're starting Carter Holton, a, a freshman uh, who's going to be really good. And by the way, he's Anthony Dasher's cousin, our buddy at the uh, who runs the Georgia site. So how did uh,
1: someone from Dash's family tree get that sort of athleticism? I don't –
4: how'd that <laughs> yeah, happen? <laughs> uh, I think Dash would agree with that too. Uh, I know of, he would. Otherwise, I wouldn't say it
1: out loud. Yeah.
4: Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> look, when, when your two studs don't make the rotation to start out, that begs some questions. I look at their bullpen. I don't know where they're going to go for end game outs. So he's got talented arms. Everybody knows that. They develop them pretty well, but I don't know where the answers are coming from. I think their lineup lost against everybody else's because I think LSU and Ole Miss may be feeling the two best lineups I've ever seen. Um, but theirs is pretty good too. Um, and they got a lot of depth. They just got worn down on Omaha. I think that's going to taint how people perceive them, but they're really talented you start looking at it and going, well, they're going to probably have Troy Laniv or Jack Bolger on the bench to start the season. Those are two hitters that could play for just about any team not named Ole Miss or LSU. So I I think, I think it could go a lot of ways. I'd bet on his track record. I'd bet on their talent, but um, it's, there's not as many certainties with this team as is most of the ones I've covered the last decade. Um
3: just to hand
1: you some quick thoughts on some other teams you mentioned lsu a lot and and you're right that lineup is just star studded and they can especially the middle of it they can produce a ton of runs do a lot of damage is there enough pitching in baton rouge for it to for them to make a run or are they kind of buried behind uh old miss arkansas mississippi state at the top of that division
4: well they were in that same position Ole miss is in and last year you know when when I think Labus got hurt, uh, and their number one, who are, Landon Marceau was really good. He's gone. But, you know, the thing they did when, when they got to on that run, they started pitching the Javin Coleman's and the Fontanos and Edwards and Hilliards and a lot of kids like that. And I'm not saying it was always pretty, but they got experience, right? And you look at them again, when you start looking at how many guys can I name off the top of my head on the pitching staff that come back, LSU's up there in that top half somewhere, and look, they don't need to. They don't need to to hold a team to to three or four runs. I mean, that lineup is going to get them eight or nine most nights. A lot of
1: nights, yeah, for sure.
4: And and I think that's that's becoming the key in this game, right? It's it's not necessarily are the guys you are bringing in lights out, but you have enough guys to win a war of attrition, Um, and they at least get a pretty good start there with having guys who've been there and done it. Wasn't always pretty but arms generally get better year to year. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like Ole Miss. I'm kind of watching them in that same light to see, um, do they just get a lot better by virtue of another year?
1: Um, I'm looking at your Florida and Georgia banners in the background. A lot of people excited about Georgia because of arms. And then obviously Florida has a very talented team that frankly, kind of underachieved last season a little bit, but uh, they're still very talented. They're going to be there. They're going to make noise. They're going to be a hard out on weekends. What do you What do you think of those two clubs?
4: I think Georgia is probably, in my mind, the most underrated team in the league. Um, and and Aaron fit kind of blew my cover on that. He had that take too. Aaron, I think, is the the best guy in our business. Um, when Aaron says something, it, it carries a lot of weight with me. I was thinking it, and I think he kind of came out and said that. I think that's an Omaha team. Um, they think their pitching staff is really deep. They've got Jonathan Cannon back, who was, this time a year ago, getting top half of the first-round forecast. Health didn't work out. He's back. Um, they got a Juco kid that they really like in their three-hole. They always pitch and play defense. And their lineup, again, they got, I think, eight of their nine guys back. And it's not, it's not going to be a top half of the league lineup, but, again, it's a spot where they may not have to hit a ton, and they're always going to lock it down defensively. So I, th- I think actually I think George is going to finish second in the East, um, Florida, and I think Kevin O'Sullivan said this himself. That that's a team that's going to take a while, and you look at their pitching, and they're going to lean really heavily on freshmen. Um, their lineup doesn't really wow you, Judd Fabian. I don't know which way that goes. It it you know that was a week to week thing a year ago, but th- they always develop arms. Uh, they're always deep. And if he does that, that might be one of those teams that goes 15 and 15, you know, and maybe winds up as one of the last four in Omaha, just because they started to figure out with the arms. And again, he's a guy that's really good with pacing a season and getting his team ready at the end. So I think those teams are both really intriguing for different reasons.
1: Tennessee made a lot of noise last year under a first year coach and all that stuff got exciting and everybody got pumped up in Knoxville as they should have. It was fun to watch the deal, but. They're not under the radar now. Everyone gets, will get geeked up when Tennessee comes to town. What do you expect from the Vols?
4: I like them. I think they're more of a middle-of-the-pack team this year. I think is a really good coach. I don't think he gets enough credit because I, th- I think, frankly, people just probably don't like the act that goes there. Uh, but, but it's worked for him, and I don't, I don't say that judgmentally. What hurt them is they lost their top two starting pitchers, probably for the year. Blade Tidwell, in my mind, was probably the best pitcher in the league coming back as a starter. I don't think he'll throw a pitch all year. Uh, The Halverson kid, Seth Halverson, who transferred from Missouri, is going to be there too. He's done for at least a couple months. Um, They just got Ethan Smith eligible, who started the season as Vandy's closer a year ago. He's really talented. Uh, I think he's going to have to step up and take a big role for them. But the lineup is good, but it's not special in this league. I think their bullpen's really good. But I worry about them at the top of their rotation. Uh, m- most teams could not stand the hit to to an ace one, which there are few in this league, and, and a, a guy that's got good stuff with your two. And um, I just think they start in an unfortunate spot. And I think I think the other teams are just too good to think that they can make a run like they did a year ago under that circumstance.
1: You know, wasn't that long ago, Chris, that we talked about South Carolina? As this perennial national title contender. I and mean, they were the program yeah. in the SEC. Even in the middle of the Vanderbilt domination, Carolina was a dominant program. Yeah. And they've fallen off. And and to the point now where you don't even think of them in the main conversation, right? You think about Vanderbilt and Mississippi State, obviously, just won a title. And you think about Arkansas and Ole Miss and Florida. And I mean, we're talking about a lot of teams. LSU, of course, because of the the history they have there and the the talent that they have there. Before you even get to South Carolina, you talk about all of those teams. Is that an oversight on our part or has that program fallen to that place where that's where it deserves to oh, be? Oh, look,
4: it's it's fallen because they won back to back and then they were in the game of going three in a row. Um look, in any sport, your coach is everything, right? And I'm not saying oh. Mark Kingston's a bad coach, but Ray Tanner was a legend. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm I'm a little surprised that it's not gone better given that he's their AD. Um, They've been through a coach or two, but people might sleep on them a little bit. They've got probably in Bosnick and Sanders, maybe the best one-two punch of starters in the league. I just don't know if they can hit. Um, That was a real issue for them a year ago, but they do have some guys back. They got Matt Hogan, who transferred from Vandy and was stuck behind other guys and maybe gives them some pop. I I think if they can hit a little bit, they can be intriguing, but I, I think they're in that I think they in Tennessee are probably going to battle it out for that, you know, three, four, five with with Florida and Georgia somewhere.
1: Any of the other teams we haven't talked about worth diving into? You got Alabama and Auburn and A and M, and obviously Missouri and Kentucky, but doesn't feel like any of those teams are, are are really tooled to challenge the big boys.
4: Yeah, I think I think Auburn and Alabama get crushed by the schedule and probably especially the pitching on Alabama's end. A&M's a and team that's, that's interesting because Jim Schlossnagel's running that program now. They probably did a better job of any team in the conference at hitting the transfer portal. And I'm, I don't know if they got like any of the best three or four players, but they got seven or eight guys that will really help them. Um, they got Micah Dallas from Tech, who will probably be their one, who was in their rotation. Uh, you know, the, the talent base dropped off. You could see it. It was kind of alarming to see how little skill they had last year, especially in, in, in pitching, and that had been a, a Rob Childress hallmark. But they reloaded. I think half their lineup is, is D1 transfers. Dallas will help them at the top of that rotation. Engels a great coach. Again, anybody in the West, you're worrying about that schedule. But I think of all the other teams, that's the one that I think is probably the best.
1: All right, let's shift to basketball. Got a little time with you. It's February 17th as we record this. The um, tournament's about a month away. We're starting to kind of get some separation in the league from who's legit, who's that second level, and then who's not. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of coaching turnover potentially at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. We'll, get, we'll finish with coaching turnover because that's, that's a weird topic. But we'll start with yeah. the good teams. So I live in a house with an NBA draft freak who uh, is very, very daily consumed on who might end up joining Shea Gildas Alexander and Josh Giddy and Lou Dort, Kenrich Williams, and those guys. These are names that I hear every day in my life because of Carson. He's very obsessed with Jabari Smith. Uh, and, um, and when you watch Jabari play, you get it. So here's my question about Auburn. I know from a draft standpoint, Jabari is a future star in the NBA because an NBA team's going to make, they're going to put him in the role. He's going to figure out a role, and then he's going to take off. Yeah, but
4: in the and college play, and play for a long time.
1: Yeah, a long time. I mean, if 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 his help holds up, he's he's 15 years in the league. But you don't get that time in the tournament. It's one and done. It's it's all right. Here's your shot. Go. Um. Auburn is this team that we've watched a lot. I've watched them a lot. I know you have too. They're very, very good. Yeah. Uh, Kessler is a a force at center. They've got lots of guards. They've got wings who can defend. And then they've got Jabari, who is kind of the wild card for them, I think. I'm curious to see if you think this too. When they, by God, run their offense through Jabari Smith, I think they're the best team in the country. But they don't do that as much as I would do it if I were them. And I know it's Bruce is a great coach. I'm sure that deep down this is eating at him a little bit. Their guards get selfish yeah. and reckless and out of control. And they'll have these eight-minute stretches, Chris, where it's like, what in the hell are you doing? And it uh-huh. works over the course of the season. They have only lost twice, and they should have won one of those games. They should have beaten Arkansas and Fayetteville, but they couldn't make front ends of one-on-ones, and it bit them. But I do worry about, in a tournament setting, them getting away for 8 to 12 minutes from what works and getting popped in a sweet 16 round by a veteran discipline team that goes, all right, we set a trap, you, you fell for it. I know I'm talking a lot, but when they run that offense through Jabari Smith, I love them, and I, I don't know whether – they're disciplined enough as a team to do it.
4: Well, it's it's that double-edged sword. He's created this culture that people love to play for, that you get your shots, they're fun. Uh, and that game against Fandy last night was fun to watch. It was just Pippen and Smith just going at it for a while until Auburn's depth took over. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I, I watched them at times. Wendell Green is fun to watch, but he also takes some crazy shots when they've got better options. Um, yeah, I would say that's a wild card. The other one is three-point shooting. I don't know if you watched the game last night. They had a graphic about the last five teams to win national titles, and the three-point percentages were consistently between, I think, 35, 36, and 40. Auburn was sitting around 41 or excuse me, 31 coming into last night, which Pearls teams have usually shot the ball better. I think I think those are the two questions. Um, nobody in, in the country's got two bigs like they do. Kessler is just a complete headache. Um, I think he's and I think he's getting attention. He still might be the most underrated player in the league. I'm with you. I think they get past the round of 16, but if they don't kneel, I think you've just named the reasons why
1: he had Kessler had a possession and no one remembers it because Arkansas ended up scoring on it. But it was then that game in Fayetteville, which was one of the best games of the year. And Arkansas had created a turnover and had a break, and it was basically four-on-one. And Kessler defended it by himself <laughs> for about five seconds Damn. and blocked a couple of shots, deflected a shot. Arkansas ended up, to its credit, putting the basket in, and they got two points out of the possession, and so no one noticed it. But Kessler's a he's, he's an underrated as, as much as people talk about him, he's still underrated. He's, he has impacted the SEC this year more than maybe any one player has.
4: Well, and, and as a sidebar, I think this points to coaching, and, and this is why people love Bruce Pearl as a coach. I saw Kessler play in high school 15 minutes from my house, and they were playing a team with a bunch of guys our size, and he's out there just jacking one three-pointer after another. I'm like, you could post everybody up. And, and post 60 and 30 today if you wanted to. And he was yeah. out there doing other things. Um, and so, like, when he goes to Carolina a year ago, I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go because he, he, didn't, he didn't do much that year. Seen, I'm like, I don't know what they're going to do. Is he going to go to Auburn and they're going to make him a, a stretch five? And I, th- this could go a lot of ways. Yeah. And you look at what he's become, he will take a three on occasion. But it's like someone said to him, look, man, you, your job is to clean up inside, work on some, a couple of post moves, get the easy ones. He's an efficient scorer. Very he doesn't really pass, need sir. to rebound a ton because they got other guys. Mm-hmm. And he just is, is just phenomenal on the other end. And, and that's, that's a coach saying to a kid, look, these are your strengths. Let's play to them. And having seen that from a very unique perspective, I think people see Kessler know what he is, but that could have gone a lot of different ways. And I think it was a good job by Pearl to, to direct that in the way that he did.
1: Yeah, I agree. Bruce is, Bruce is a great coach. A um, couple of other teams, I think the two next teams in the league just played the other night, Kentucky and Tennessee. I was all in on Kentucky until the other night, and I know Washington yeah. got hurt, and, and it was in Knoxville, and I think Tennessee's sneaky good. But there was something about that game for Kentucky that bothered me a little bit. And on the flip side, I watched that with, with Tennessee, and I know they got to go to Arkansas Saturday and it's going to be an interesting test for them. But I watched Tennessee and went, "Oh. Yeah. They boy, they've Rick Barnes has put this together. They have this mix of youth and experience. They can score on a lot of different w- levels. They're gritty like most Barnes teams are. Um they'll get physical. They can they can play different kinds of games. They can play up tempo, they can slow it down in the half court. Auburn's the best team in the league. And if you told me a team in the league won the national title, I would say it's Auburn. But boy, if you told me another team made the final four, I might go with Tennessee right now, Chris. And I know that's recency bias off what happened the other night, but it is more than that.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, I've gone back and forth on Auburn and Kentucky all year, and it probably just depends on who I watched the last, to be sure. honest. But of course. with with Washington, I, I think it's all about Washington's health. This is what the third time he's been hurt. Yeah. They're, they're a different team with him on the floor in ways I can't explain. They just are you saw that Auburn game right where he's in there they're beating Auburn by 10 points or whatever he gets hurt Auburn wins the game. Yeah, they were going to um, win
1: that game they were they were they were about to run Auburn out of out of its own gym and then he, yeah. got, he got hurt and Auburn took the game over.
4: Yeah. I mean look state took them to overtime in their building. I think he was hurt all or most of that game I've forgotten now. So you tell me is he healthy and then then I then I know whether I'm in or I'm not gonna say I'm out on Kentucky without him but it's a difference-making thing. Tennessee, you're right. Um, but the, the thing about them that's really weird, and this bit them last year, they go through these weird stretches for eight, point, for eight minutes where they can't score. Mm-hmm. that has been less frequent at times. And I think they're better. The, the freshman point guard Ziegler they've got has really done a good job. Kennedy Chandler's an elite player. vescovie has been really underappreciated. And that, that Adu kid, they bring it off the bench who was nothing. Um, with the Kumwai injury, he stepped up and done things. Look, they get contributions from different guys. That guard threesome is, is a headache, and, and I think you watch them and the way they're able to take the ball to the rack from so many places on the floor. They're a headache to, to guard a little bit more than they were, and defensively they been elite from the start. So, yeah, with Barnes, it's kind of that – he's kind of got that Bianco thing going on. Uh that the postseason they just run into a wall. Whether it's bad luck or or something else, I don't know. But uh r- right now they're playing really, really well. And I, I don't think a final four is out of the question.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Uh, I want to see their game against Arkansas on Saturday, which leads me into the Hogs because they've lost a one point game in Tuscaloosa where Note did nothing in the first half. And uh the other guard, Zero, I can't think of his name right now, um, starts with the uh Amude, Amude, yeah, yeah. He got in foul trouble too. So neither one of them really played in the first half, and they came back and damn near won the game. Probably should have won the game. Got a had a couple of calls go against them. Had a weird play go against them, but they, they could have won in Tuscaloosa, and if they did, they'd be the hottest team in college basketball right now. They get Tennessee at their place. It'll be rowdy. They're really they. They've got very good guard play. Tennessee's got good guard play. Jalen Williams is as good a post player as there is in the league, not named Kessler and Smith. Um, that's going to be a fun game. And frankly, it's not. This isn't fair. But I'm kind of watching that game with interest, kind of as a litmus test for Arkansas. Like, okay, yeah. I saw you beat uh, Auburn. Did something that most people can't do. You went down to Tuscaloosa and you probably should have won. Took care of Missouri. Now, if you go beat Tennessee at home, I'm going to crown you for real and all of a sudden yeah. change the way that I talk about you. But if you can't beat Tennessee, I'm going to go, oh, you're just a good team. And I know that's not fair, but I think that's what I'm doing with them.
4: Well, even if they beat Tennessee, it's you, you beat Tennessee in your building, uh, right. which you know is – and I think they get Tennessee to end the season in Knoxville. Maybe that's – maybe between them is your litmus test. Maybe so. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's going to be interesting because what Tennessee does – is they put so much pressure on you with your guards, and to me, that's a that's a how the game is called because what's a steal in your place might be a foul in somebody else's. Yeah, I think they're two really evenly matched teams, and I'm I'm probably going to lean the home team in that spot. But yeah, that that's going to be I think the game of the day on Saturday uh, in the league and maybe for maybe for the whole country.
1: I think Alabama's in the tournament. I think they're 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 going to be a tournament team. Nate's done a great job there we'll get to coaching stuff in a minute. Cause I think his name is going to pop up in March and some mm. coaching stuff that could really change the landscape. Um, a lot of it, tension here with Florida, with Mike White, the former Ole Miss guard. It was a tough loss for them at Texas A&M. They, they, yeah. they can't afford to stumble too many more times. They get Auburn at their place on Saturday. It's going to be a awfully difficult test. Mississippi state's got to start winning games or else this isn't going to happen. And then, you know, a and probably not close enough to the bubble for it to be a factor. Am I leaving anybody out? I mean, it just there's, there feels like there's a Let's division see. after that. You've got Auburn and Kentucky and Tennessee and Arkansas and Alabama that are in the tournament. Those five are yeah. in the tournament. And then you've got Florida and who am I missing?
4: Let's see. And Sorry, I, your audio cut off for a minute. Okay. This is something I might, but I'll, I'll give you my tiers, okay? okay I, think sure. got, I think you've got Auburn and Kentucky probably in that order. Okay. Then I think you got Tennessee and Arkansas, probably in that order. Mm-hmm. Then you got LSU and Alabama. LSU was the team I was forgetting. Yeah, I mean you can debate. It's been so a weird six year for teams, those teams. Those six teams are in the tournament. Yeah, boring, boring. Yeah, barring something a Crazy. And then, and you got Florida on the outside looking in with the opportunity to earn it. I don't know if they will. I mean, everybody else, it would take a, you know, like like if Vanity runs the gauntlet and wins five in a row, then, then they're probably mixed. I don't think it's going to happen, but my expectation is it's going to be those six.
1: Okay. So let's just say it's those six, those six get in, they do whatever they do of those six. The only coach that I think is looking or could leave, not looking to leave. That's wrong. I mean, obviously something could happen with will Wade, but at this point it looks like he got a free pass, um, it does. I mean, it, yeah, in it, fairness, it, it does. There's He's no other re- way to put it. He's recruiting at a really high level. Nobody's saying anything.
4: And, and Merrill Code's going to jail. Yeah. And
1: you sent me that story, and I'm going to put it in my 10 Weekend Thoughts in the links. I hate to be the conspiracy guy. I really I don't like being that person, but damn. A lot of stuff that yeah. should have come out in court did not come out in court. And it feels like it didn't come out in court because the powers that be yeah, were able to impact a federal investigation and prevent those things from coming out in court. It's not just Will Wade. It's more than Will Wade. And I mean, damn, that's a terrible look.
4: I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I sent you this, too. Gabe DeArmond sent me this, and he may have sent it to you, too. That podcast that he did with Wetzel and Forty, Uh, and I've listened to most of it was tremendous. When you hear him tell that in his own words, Neil, it's really powerful. And and the way that he's able to talk through it without any trace of bitterness and just matter of factness, I I admire him because I think if I was going to federal prison for nine months and leaving my wife and kids, I wouldn't be so kind, but it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's, and this is right in front of us. I mean, it's not even open for debate anymore. Um, I don't know how to say what you just said any better than you did, but it's just, it's just wrong.
1: It is. It's completely wrong that they're making him the fall guy for all of this Yeah, and acting like he did something. Look, he did something that everybody was doing. And if you're going to conduct an investigation and say you want to clean up the sport, well, then do it. Otherwise, shut up. Yeah. But to make Merrill Code the fall guy and send him off to prison after you've ruined his career and not let a lot of things that probably should be admitted into court, admitted into court feels dirty. I mean, it feels like Ghislaine Maxwell dirty. Yeah. Like if you think about that case, right. I mean, so Ghislaine Maxwell, let me get this straight. Ghislaine Maxwell is going to prison for being a essentially a child molester. And yet you're not going to say anything about who she was working for mm-hmm. or who her clients were. I mean, she, Set up young girls with people. All right. What people? Right. And so in this case, back to the basketball, it's, you know, all these things, yet you're just going to only talk about Merrill code. You think Merrill code was doing this without Rick Pitino knowing without bill self knowing you think now, I mean, come on,
4: that defies logic. Neil, the worst part of that, and, and again, I would encourage people to listen to that podcast. And I, I want to say it's the 27-minute mark where he starts talking about, he's sitting there screaming, will you bring the evidence out? And they wouldn't. And his point was, look, the whole case was we have defrauded the schools. And his point, and it's it's 100% on point, is no, I'm just doing what the schools wanted us to do. And he said, you know, if you if you don't, they would not bring out evidence in that case that supported that point because the more they brought it out, the more it made it obvious. And it just, it just reeks of somebody's going to pay for this. We want to make sure it's not Sean Miller or Will Wade, and and we'll let it be this guy over here. Um, I don't know. I would encourage li- listen to it because the way that he said it was one of those like you kind of stop what you're doing or rewind it and listen to it again, and it just. It's very inconsistent with our justice system, it seems to me.
1: Okay, so I'm going to get to Sean Miller then. You're, you're like setting me up. It's like you do this for a living. Um, <laughs> first, I, I do think there's a real chance that – give you one. Why not? We're having a podcast. If it doesn't come, it doesn't come. A real chance Greg Popovich steps down at the end of this year as the San Antonio Spurs coach. And if he does, um, I think there will be real talk about Bill Self leaving Kansas to go to the Spurs. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, I think Kansas's very short list will include Nate, Nate Oates. I'm not saying mm-hmm. he's the only guy on their list, but I think he would be on the very short list. So that's one I'm watching. And then the other that I'm watching is I think there could be multiple openings in the SEC. And if you're in today's SEC, and you're let's be honest here, let's put the rest of the bullshit aside. You're in the same league with LSU, Auburn, Kentucky. Nothing's happening at LSU. Really, not much happened to Auburn. Kentucky's Kentucky. Don't you have to at least talk to Sean Miller?
4: Well, I mean, in, in the environment that nothing's against the rules anymore, um, if there are rules, um, there
1: are no rules. Don't you want Sean Miller on your bench? Well, yeah. If you, if you I mean, if, get if, him? if, if, if,
4: if, if the thing is, you know, I, I got to win basketball games in my life depends on it. Um, you know, sure. Why not? Right. Right.
1: All right. So let's talk about some of the jobs out there in, in the league. What do you think is going to happen? Obviously, Georgia is going to make a move there.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, Ole Miss goes there on Saturday. Georgia's one in 12, one in 13 in the league. Yeah. Um, you know pretty clear Georgia's not going anywhere this is Tom Crean's fourth season it's been a disaster first why can no one win there Chris and then secondly do you have do you have any idea what directions they they might turn in Georgia
4: Georgia's always been a mystery to me in a way although if you you know if you go to a game there or you go to the SEC tournament there's so little support in that regard it's not a mystery then again they got Atlanta just down the road and I guess. You know, they get some players out of there occasionally, but they don't get enough. And they don't always get the best. I think it's probably that easy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, George, look, when Queen skipped his post-game radio this weekend, um, that was, you know. Told you a lot. In addition to the record, pretty, pretty good sign of where that's headed, so.
1: Yeah. I mean, the one name that I've heard there, I almost hesitate to say it. I've heard Andy Kennedy's name at, at Georgia mm-hmm. a, a couple of times. He's at UAB. I've already heard UAB, what direction they might go if Andy leaves to go to a bigger job. So the fact that I've already heard another name at UAB makes me think, hmm, and the name that I heard made me think, hmm, could be Uh, Missouri Konzo Martin. Do you anticipate Konzo getting more time or is this the end of his road?
4: Yeah, I, I talked to Gabe about that a lot. We text. I, I think his sentiment is that he's probably coming back. You know, their fans are getting restless. And that's a that's a weird program at a weird time. And they I thought they'd have a lot more success in hoops than they've had. I did too. Um I don't I, I don't think, you know, unfortunately, everybody loves Conzo and he's more likable where he's thought of as one of the the few maybe clean guys in this atmosphere that that everybody knows what it is now. And you always hate him. to. Well, I mean, it it has to, right? But right. I mean, they're not happy. Um, I, I don't know. I w- I would say he probably gets another year. South Carolina is one I've I've kind of watched. They played better of late. I mean, they tried everything to run Frank Martin off last year, and it didn't work. It seems like when you get in that spot, those are hard to to go forward in. Um, You know, Vandy. I, I keep hearing. Stackhouse. If he gets an NBA chance, he'll get out. Um, Mississippi State's one that I think would be at the top if they can't get to the tournament, which I don't think they will. Uh, And and Florida with Mike White's another one. I don't think people are really happy. That was a tough time to come in and take that job, coming off Billy Donovan. I mean, Florida never won anything close to that consistently, and so I've, I've always thought a little bit that was unfair. But I mean, it's it's weird. We're sitting here in this environment, maybe. Maybe this is why, right? It's a leagues so good that you look at the bottom half, and so many of these fan bases are wanting a change, but um, there's only so many wins to go around, and, and you're looking at some coaches who, who may get fired who have done some nice things elsewhere, but that's just the state of the league these days.
1: You know, I'm so close to it that I'm inside it, and I know the people, so I, it's sometimes interesting to get somebody's view from 30,000 feet, and yours is a clear cut. Thirty thousand feet because you watch a lot of it. When you look at the Ole Miss program today, what what do you what do you see?
4: It's just always been a hard place to win. Um, I think they got a good coach. Everybody loves Kermit. I saw his teams at MTSU. He did a tremendous job there. Uh, but but it's a meat grinder league right now. And when you're in Ole Miss, you you've got to catch some breaks. And I thought him this year. It seems like they've had either Joiner or Ruffin. I don't know how many games they had them both at the same time. Not many. But it's not a lot. No, and maybe, now now maybe Ruffin's one. done for the year,
1: right? Yeah, Ruffin, Ruffin tore his ACL. He had ACL reconstruction. He's out for the season. And Kell's back and playing really well when you consider that he just had back surgery not that long ago. The, 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 this is me being devil's advocate more than anything else. I'm, I'm, I don't know what I would do if I were Keith Carter. I, my concern would be the fan environment. Yeah. Tickets sold money, if I'm honest. But, you know, when, when people do that about Ruffin and, and Joyner, I don't know how Ruffin and Joyner would have played on the floor together all that effectively because you'd give up a lot defensively. You'd give up a lot with size. So, had you done that, were you going to play small in, in, in the league all year? What was that going to look like? Um, you know, who knows? And, and then I think the, the hardcore guy goes, okay, well, everybody gets hurt. Auburn played without their quarter, their uh, point guard for a while. Um, LSU played without um, um, the guard. I can't think of his name right now. Played with, uh, Pinson. Pinson, thank you. Played without Pinson for a while. They lost a bunch of games. Nobody ever felt sorry for them. Is just because everybody hates Will Wade. I mean, you know, they got through it. And so people, the same guy would go, so we're giving Kermit a benefit of the doubt because everybody likes Kermit. Everybody hates Will Wade. so we're not even going to talk about Pinson, but everybody loves Kermit. So we're going to give him benefit of the doubt because the guard went down. And again, that's kind of devil's advocate a little bit. And then my question is always this. It's always this. It's okay. If you're at one of these programs, it's not him. Then who, who, yeah. If you're Mississippi state, you're going to move on from Howland. who you're getting. Yeah. If you, if you're, if you're Florida and you move on from Mike white, who are you getting? And if you're Ole Miss and you move on from Kermit, it's, it's, who are you getting, you know, they moved on from Andy and they brought in Kermit Frankly, the results have been very similar, if not taking a tick down a little bit. And not that's not all Kermit's fault, but they've had some evaluation mistakes that are biting them right now. Um, yeah, you know, and and it's a league where basketball matters. It just does. It matters. Uh, you you you. There's a lot of money in it. You want to win. There's a lot of attention. The games are all on television. There's no hiding from it. And at a place like Ole Miss, and it's easy to go. Well, we just We got football and we're good, and we got baseball and we're good, and basketball is just this thing, but it's a big just this thing, and you 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 can't just dismiss it. And the other night, Chris, that environment, yeah, the Tuesday night at six o'clock, in South Carolina was in town. That environment should have scared people. That that and it probably did. That environment had to make people think, okay, we can't do this, so we we either have to make a change or we have to stick with what we've got, but change the course of what we're doing. Because what we're doing, if it leads to this for a whole season, would be disastrous from a morale standpoint and a program standpoint. And I think in today's SEC, you got to be careful that you don't go there.
4: Yeah, and and let me give you a compare and contrast. I mean, you look – and I see this at state too, right? I, I look at the stands and I'm like, man, there aren't many people there. And I, I've seen the same thing at Ole Miss. Then you look over at Auburn and Alabama, to two of the most football schools of all time. And you can't find a, a seat in that building. And I I don't, do, do I think that's a fair comparison to make right now? Probably not. Because, I don't know. What, why is it not? Well, that's a difficult needle to thread, right? This yeah. is a, this is a once in our lifetime kind of thing, but, but people notice that, right? That's the backdrop sure. against which all this is said, And I think that's well, where the same division, Arkansas yeah.
1: setting an attendance record. Um,
4: yeah. To see, Tennessee's filling up that big cavernous
1: thing where it's always an easy ticket because the building's so damn big and, yeah. and you've got, you, you get those kind of crowds. And, and I mean, you can't get a ticket in Fayetteville right now. I mean, you, you just can't get one. You cannot get your hands on a ticket and that's a 20,000 seat arena. So when you're putting and listen, I'm being generous here, 3,500 people in your arena yeah. on a Tuesday night for a conference game, you've got a problem.
4: Yeah. And I think what makes it hard is everybody likes Kermit. Like I've never heard anybody speak a bad word about him. And and, and in this, we just had that conversation 10, 15 minutes ago about what is wrong with college basketball. And like, we could have gone down some deep wormholes that we didn't. But if you're listening, you know what that conversation is like. And and then you put a, a Kermit Davis, a Konzo Martin out there. It, it, makes it, it makes it a little harder to move on from those guys. I mean, maybe you can say that's not fair, but we got a human side to us. We, we like people we like, and yeah. I, I think that's what makes that tough too, right? It's
1: why, Chris, if I'm, if I'm going to move on from a Kermit Davis at Ole Miss, it's not to hire Mike White. Yeah, Mike's a super nice guy. I mean, I love Mike White. I mean, I could sit and talk to Mike White and talk basketball, and he's a great guy, and I, I mean, I love Mike. Known him for a long time. He was on the Andy yeah. staff back when I first started this beat and he couldn't have been nicer to me. I mean, I love Mike White. But what makes you think Mike White's gonna do anything different than Andy Kennedy and and, and Kermit Davis did?
4: Yeah, I mean so if Mike's, I'm get won, rid of, Mike's won Mike's one consistently everywhere he's been. But if I'm but, getting rid of Kermit, yeah. If I'm getting rid of Kermit, I'm bringing in
1: I'm bringing in dirty. Yeah. I'm going in. We're we're okay, we're we're done being nice. We're gonna go. We're going to go get somebody that's got contacts in the shoe world and the AAU world, and, and we're going to change the name of the game. And, and then you ask at some of these programs, do you have the stomach for that? And do you have the budget for that? Do you have the budget to be big time in football and also play the game in basketball the way it has to be played? I mean, you know, you look at, you look at Auburn right now. I mean, they're, yeah, they're winning in, winning in basketball. Did you, you start to wonder, did, well, did some of the basketball money come from football?
4: I don't know. Well, look, I'll never forget this. I sat down. This has been 15 years ago. I sat down with an analyst for lunch one day at, at the Rivals Network. He's no longer with us, but he just made the comment in passing. And this, this is 15 years ago, Neil. He said, if you think the SEC is dirty in football, it's worse than hoops. Yeah. Yeah, he's right.
1: So if you're being super clean, it's hard to hard to win when everybody else is is going you're not going to win the race if you're obeying the speed limit. Nobody else is. And the cops aren't pulling anybody over.
4: You know, if I can take this in another direction for a second, I mean, are we not talking about the, the overlying theme of, of all the college sports right now? I mean, it just between the portal, between all these other things, it's like, where's this going to go? I, I think we're just looking at two or three years of, of chaos. It, it's like an election when one party has run the country in the ground and you know there are consequences from it and you don't know what they're gonna look like, but you know you're in for a mess for a few years. Yeah. I, I th- this to me is not a lot of fun right now to cover in a lot of ways because you don't like what's going on at a gut moral level. You don't really know how to get out of it. And I just think we almost have to just sit and watch the train create a spectacular wreck before it's gonna fix itself. And I, I don't know of any other solution at this point do you
1: no no I, I just think we're watching kind of wild wild west a little bit in college sports and so you know we're oh, waiting
4: I, I think i think that's the the nice way to put it don't you? waiting to, yeah i
1: think so we're waiting to see if congress is going to legislate it i don't think they're going to i don't think they have the taste for it um you you can't ask the i'm a i'm a big critic of the ncaa but i will defend them here you can't turn around and go hey guys while you're also doing what you're doing now with no subpoena power uh legislate nil (laughs) (laughs) they they would look at you just go come on man yeah i mean really we 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 can't handle cases where there's a federal wiretap
4: you want us to look i sat down with the with the former sec assistant uh, i remember some time ago and and we this came up and he said you know everybody likes to point the finger at the NCA, but the schools are the NCA. Yeah, of course. They're the ones that don't abide or abide by the rules. And I mean, you know, it, it, at some point I just get, I roll my eyes over the finger pointing and the, the, the wagging of the fingers when a, when a, and, and look, I don't want to get it twisted. The Sean Miller stuff and and the Will Wade stuff, that's just, that's about as bad as it gets, but. Are we going to sit here and pretend like most of the other programs are, no. are just I'm not, are night and day different? No, no. Not, no, of course not. Come on. I mean, you know,
0: so,
1: I mean, we've named names of, of people, players in this deal that I know some of the price tags. And come on. I mean, maybe, <laughs> you know, again, maybe, maybe they use a better smelling soap, if you will, but everybody's yeah. still dirty. So, right. Hey, Chris, I kept you an hour and 20 minutes or so. I really appreciate your time. That was a lot of fun. Thanks so much, and uh, best of luck with uh, the show with, as you get ready for the NCAA tournament and the start of college baseball with everything overlapping. I know people will be keeping up with your work.
4: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I think uh, I would encourage people to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe. We try to put a lot on our, our podcast feed, too, audio only, but we're putting up a lot of stuff, and I, I can say this honestly. Nobody's putting up the volume and the kind of content we are right now so if you just like a, a and this was the goal is we want a place where just the sec fan or the media guy comes and you can kind of know what's going on at all 14 schools and if you want a, a pretty quick and efficient place to get that um that's what we're trying to do and i, I think we keep here and we've done a good job of it so i hope people will, will come and check us out thanks chris talk to you soon thanks neil
1: that was Chris Lee of southeastern14.com. Thanks to him for giving us almost an hour and a half of uh, his time today. So uh, that does it for this edition of Hand Raise, guys. I know it's a different kind of edition. We didn't get your calls and stuff. We'll try to get back to that next week. It's a little complicated on some of these home baseball weekends with stuff going on. But anyway, we'll uh, be back. We'll put this in podcast form for uh, Friday as you get ready for the season opener. Don't forget to check out the Peyton Chattonnet Show. Uh, Presented by The Rogue. It's out where you get a podcast. It's also up on our YouTube channel. Would love it if you'd hit the subscribe button, if you'd hit the like button, if you'd tell a friend, that would be great. And again, our thanks to the people at Comer Heating and Air, Southern Air Conditioning and Heating for making today's show possible. Also, thanks to Rafters, home of the Rafters Music and Food Hotline. So for Chase Parham, I'm Neil McCrady. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Recap Ole Miss uh, Basketball, Ole Miss Baseball. Maybe talk some recruiting, things, um, names popping up in the portal, that that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll start another week with you on Monday morning with the Oxford Exxon Podcast. Until then, take care.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping